This is David Copper. You're listening to Five Questions with Dan Chabelle. You're listening to the Five Questions podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Chabelle. In fewer than 10 minutes, my goal is to extract the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is magician and entertainer David Copperfield. David is one of the greatest illusionists and most commercially successful magicians in history. He's won 21 Emmy Awards, 11 Guinness World Records, sold over 33 million tickets, and has been named a living legend by the U.S. Library of Congress. We talk about the history of magic as captured in his new book, David Copperfield's History of Magic, during this podcast episode. David, welcome to Five Questions. Good to be here. I wanted to start off by asking, what was it about the magic store you went to when you were a kid that inspired you to become a magician instead of a ventriloquist? You know, when I did ventriloquism, my lips were flapping away. Not so good. And my material wasn't that good. But magic, for some reason, I loved inventing and creating new things. I really was an opportunity to create, to kind of feel like I was exploring new territory. And I loved it. Starting with the basis of what existed before and creating new things to take magic forward. I was very lucky to uh, have invented a little trick in French class called Mento Pen. Mento Pen was a little trick with a flare pen. And there was a bit of that magic in that pen that existed that I was able to interpret to make a magic effect work. And uh, I was 12 years old and that effect got published in the Tarbell Course in Magic, which is a very esteemed book of magic. So as a 12 year old, I actually invented something that was in encyclopedia. So that was pretty cool. And I do find that once you find something that, you know, you enjoy something that you find fascinating and you have natural curiosity, you'll invest more and more of your time in it. And therefore you're more likely to be creative. You're more likely to put in the 10,000 hours to become really good at it. You're known for your tricks, like making the Statue of Liberty disappear and escaping from death. What goes through your mind when you perform these tricks, knowing that they could go wrong or they could be exposed? I love creating new things. Statue of Liberty came from, me wanted to tell a story about my mother coming here and seeing Liberty for the first time, seeing the statue and how delicate Liberty is. And how if we take it for granted, well, it could be very bad. I wanted to vanish Liberty to kind of showcase the fact that take a minute and imagine if we didn't have the freedoms that we have. There's people in countries and we're seeing it today who are trying to find a better life. And we have that life here. And I think people remember it not only because it was a big spectacular thing, but because it had incredible meaning to it. Exposure, you know, people find explanations for my magic online. And to combat that, I have many versions of my illusions. There's something else that lately people have called me out on. A lot of those people who expose magic is me. I create those things. When they say, look at this, they're trying to expose you. I said, that was me that created that video. And it's disinformation. Don't believe what you read. Although on the internet, everything must be true, right? Yeah, right. And I think one of the things that fascinates me and connects to a lot of the people I talk to is storytelling. Your art of storytelling is very unique. There's fewer people who are magicians then are probably acting or, or, or play music. And so it's more rare, but still it's a very compelling form of storytelling, just like you mentioned with the Statue of Liberty. This episode is sponsored by Workplace from Facebook. People being people, we can't help but make our work more personal and more human. Whether that's bringing something from our personal life into our work life, like quirky mugs or family photos, or maybe little acts of kindness to colleagues. Whatever you bring to work to help you be you, Workplace celebrates it. Their easy to use features make work feel more familiar as well as help everyone work together in new ways. Visit workplace.com human to discover more. Workplace from Facebook, make your place of work a great place to work. 
when you profiled the best magicians in your book, David Copperfield's History of Magic, which are the ones that most influenced you in, in terms of your career and your tricks? All the stories in here are about people that I admired uh, as artists, you know, each were different. I mean, Houdini, you know the name Houdini. Why is he successful? Because he escaped from things. People can relate to escaping from things. People didn't dream about pulling feather flowers out or making a dove appear. They relate to the fact that you can free yourself from a jail, free yourself from a problem, escape death. That was a relatable thing. Before Houdini was Robert Houdin. He was a great inventor. Probably my biggest inspiration is Houdin because he created the first robotics that existed. The first levitation, the suspension using ether in the air. So the ethereal levitation is the discussed, you know, in the book and why it's important. I'm very lucky that people who are innovators and scientists show me their new things very, very early on. And I get to take them, reinvent them and use them in my, my magic to push the art forward. Magicians have always been in the forefront of new technology. I love that. And when I also think about everything you just said, it's the customer and the audience's expectations are changing. And people who you want to return to your shows, you always have to come up with new things. And of course, there is somewhat of an expectation that all this new technology, like you were saying, is available. So if you could incorporate that into your show, you become more relevant and take the art forward. And just speaking about that, looking about the history of magic, what do you think were the most pivotal milestones that brought the art and the tricks forward? I say trick sometimes, but I'm not trying to trick the audience. I'm trying to involve them. I'm trying to make them feel part of it. In the book, the pivotal things, I think, you know, Houdin and the, you know, ethereal levitation, Houdini escaping from things, Alexander, the man who knows reading minds, Masculine and Devant and Cook who invented a certain levitation device. I took that idea and made it into flying. Levitating is pretty good. People dream about levitating, but they really dream about flying. So in my show, I used to fly because I knew that it was more relatable. That wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Masculine, Devant, Cook, Keller. All the people did levitations in a certain way. Even today, Doug Henning, my predecessor in this world, he made magic kind of fun and made it kind of like hippie-ish kind of thing, trying to be kind of connected to what we were doing today, didn't dress like a magician. Going back in time, Houdin dressed in a tuxedo because everyone dressed in tuxedos back then. Magicians didn't get it right. They kept dressing in tuxedos instead of dressing like people do in their particular era. They copied the guy that was dressing like the people at that time. So that's why in my shows, except for some old bad pictures of me with a bow tie, I try to dress like I walked off the street. And I think that's what makes the art really special too. Just as a kid going to magic shows seeing, oh, if he or she can perform this illusion and levitate, what could I do? And as a kid, it does open your eyes to the possibilities. And there's also like, you know, you go to the movie theater, you see Spider-Man and like all these like mutants and superheroes. And you're like, well, that seems a little bit out of reach. But what David Copperfield just did, hmm, maybe that's more possible because it's right in front of me and he's a real person. And what's your best piece of career advice? Listen, I listen a lot. I listen to the audience a lot. I listened to my um, people that came before me. I listened to other art forms. Sinatra didn't copy other singers. Sinatra copied a saxophone player, the phrasing. He didn't copy other singers. He listened. And I think it's true of every single great artist. When people come to my show that really impressed me, Barbara Streisand came to my show. She'll ask a question and she'll listen. You know, when Michael Jackson, we hung out back in the day and he would like make you feel like you were smarter than him. And you, were, you weren't smarter than him, but he'd make you feel that way pull as much information out of you as possible. And it was great. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, David. To follow his journey, you can read David Copperfield's History of Magic and find him on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter where he shares his appearances, museum, travels, and family. 
To watch the full extended video version of this episode, go to youtube.com slash danshawbell, and please remember to rate and review the 5 Questions podcast on iTunes. 